Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Press Row. Behind the scenes stories from the world of sports media. Press Row. Inside and interviews from around the sports world. Now, here's your host, Jonah Siegel. Jonah here, Press Row. It's an uh, interesting time with. Uh, Gambling taking over everywhere. You, you can't help but be watching any sport, hockey, football, basketball, baseball, and be inundated with advertising for placing a bet. I have no problem with it. I don't participate, but it doesn't bother me at all. And you, you look on Twitter or X or social media, anywhere you turn, there's advertising for gambling. And yet, What's going on behind the scenes to make that happen? Both sides of the border is evolving quickly. So to try to understand what's going on from the legislative point of view, I thought I would be a really good time to speak to somebody who spends a good chunk of time figuring that kind of stuff out. So in Canada, the expert is Amanda Brewer. Uh, She's right in the thick of it. And she's going to help explain to me and therefore to you what's going on, why it's happening, et cetera. So without further ado, here's Amanda Brewer on everything going on in the sports gambling world. Welcome back in the press row, Jonah Siegel here in Seattle. It is a potentially Shohei Otani Friday. Uh, The world is going, at least the Toronto sports world is going crazy. Twitter, sorry, X formerly known as Twitter, is doing its thing. We're getting reports of uh, private jets flying from Anaheim to Toronto, restaurants being booked. It is an epic Friday. It's awesome. Love to see it. Uh, I think I just put on Twitter that if we could only eliminate the trolls that have inundated Elon's world, Twitter still remains an awesome place. Um, You see me on Twitter, you see me on social media, and uh, I am a huge... I take huge interest in in the world of gambling, um, especially sports gambling. I know what a massive opportunity it is from a business perspective. Clearly, it has been identified as the next big thing. Mark Cuban recently sold his interest, the majority interest in the Mavericks. Many believe he's done so because he needs the cash to get his hands on a casino in Texas when they become legal, uh, literally off the reservations. Um, We've all seen what's happened in Vegas. So as sports gambling has become legal in Canada, I thought that it was best to go to uh, an expert, not uh, an expert, an expert, the expert on the legislation, the market, what's happened because we're now over a year. Um, I watched a couple of her YouTube sessions last night where she predicted somewhere in the neighborhood of a $5 billion, almost enough to pay for Shohei, $5 billion uh, market. Uh, she is Amanda Brewer. She is formerly the country manager for Kindred Partners. She is a, an iGaming guru expert. Uh, very privileged to have her join me today. Amanda, how are you? I'm wonderful, Jonah. And yeah, I would love to see Shohei end up in Toronto uh, as uh, 
as any diehard Toronto and long-suffering sports fan knows, um, we love to throw money at really great talent and then we don't know what to do with it. So yeah, let's see what happens. Well, to take the betting uh, angle to it, my understanding this morning is that the bets have been taken off the board on where he is going to land. Um, oh. So clearly we are getting close. Uh, so the the books are no longer taking people's money. So you... Um, let, let's just give a, a very quick intro to, to qualify you from my legal world as an expert. Uh, your bio says you've got 20 years, of, more than 20 years of corporate communications and PR. Um, you've obviously done private and public work in, in the wide world of regulation. How did you end up as an expert in the world of gambling? That's a, that's a great question, John, and, and thanks for asking it, because it's certainly, you know, not when I was sitting around playing with my Barbie camper van, did I ever think that this was going to be a, a career option for me. Um, I ended up working for an agency and uh, met a former business partner there who'd come out of the regulator, the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario, to start a gaming practice, and he needed some assistance. Uh, it was an interesting world to me. I'd worked in mining and metals. I'd worked in finance. I'd worked in broadcasting. So gaming just sounded really interesting. And this was probably about close to 15 years ago um, when Canada was still a gray market, gray means. We had lots of activity from offshore operators that were providing services, but there was no prosecution of that activity. So that's basically a high level definition of a, of a gray market, which all of Canada was at that time. Um, and I just started getting really interested in it. Um, it was, in some respects, the Wild West of the early days of this industry. And you had a lot of really interesting people that were trying to do things, um, that were starting companies, that were testing, you know, the boundaries of what was permissible and what wasn't. Um, and it was a really interesting time because that's when the IGEA legislation landed like a thud in the U.S., um, and there were a lot of brands that got caught up in that and were persecuted. Um, so you fast forward and I ended up leaving to start a consulting business. And I was working for a couple of different companies in the gaming space um, and ended up working with the Canadian Gaming Association. They're still a, a part time client of mine. Um, and when it seemed like it was going to be possible with the Ford government coming into power in Ontario, and finally, after years and years of lobbying, um, that government seemed ready, willing, and able to be the first province to decide to license and regulate, um, I was I was there to help. But we also had that you know small issue of having to change the criminal code in Ottawa and adjust the legislation so that you could do a single bet, you could place a single bet on sports, because up until that point in time, you could only place a parlay bet, which not very many people enjoyed. Um, so not to make it seem like that was quickly done, that was also a period of false starts. Uh, we had a lot of opposition from the leagues. Um, and it was really, you know, thanks to Adam Silver at the NBA, who was the first one to basically see the writing on the wall and decided that this was not something they could fight any longer. And once Adam and the NBA signaled their willingness to support legalization of sports betting, um, the other leagues um, followed uh, and we were able to get the legislation changed right before the market in Ontario opened. So that's kind of a, a wide range and a, a wide overview of, of my career to date. Um, and then, yeah, certainly when the market opened in Ontario, operators were coming in to get licenses. So I, I flipped over to full-time work with an operator um, and sort of got my commercial and operational experience. Um, but it's, it's a fascinating industry. 
Um, I've always been a sports fan, so I love having the sports betting side of it. Um, but the interesting thing to know about the Ontario market is it's a casino market. Every operator um, has casino product. I shouldn't say every most have casino product, but the casino makes the lion's share of the revenue in Ontario. It's not the sports, although the sports, as we say, is the sexy side of it. It attracts all the the advertising, all the attention, all the partnerships and, you know, in Ontario, certainly all the controversy as well. Okay, so let, let me get one thing out of the way. So I'm extremely liberal, and I don't mean as it relates to Canadian politics. Uh, I'm not a gambler, per se, but I have zero problem with gambling at all. Uh, like none. I, I doesn't bother me. The ads come on TV, doesn't bother me. It drives me nuts that I see like 10 of them in a row, but that's a repetitious thing. That's not a content thing. Uh, I support, fully supported here in the States, in the state that I live in, when, when I moved to Washington, you could only buy liquor in state stores. Costco yeah. lobbied very hard for that to end. I was a huge supporter of that ending. Uh, I'm a, generally opposed to government intervention in almost anything. Um, so, you know, I am a big proponent of the legalization of marijuana. Uh, so I'm pretty liberal. Um, having said that, it seems to me like the government is trying to be half pregnant and that they want this to happen. They want the tax revenue, but, but man, they're making it pretty difficult on the operators. Is that a fair assessment? So it, it, yes and no. So how it works in Ontario is the government has designated the running of this market to two um, two organizations. So you've got the Alcohol Gaming Commission of Ontario, which hands out the licenses, hands out fines, does all the due diligence on applicants and all the rest of it. And then you've got iGaming Ontario, which was newly created because in Canada, we have this weird thing called conduct and manage, and there's really no easy way to explain it. Um, it has to do with how gaming is, is operated within the provincial boundaries. And the federal government has nothing to do with it because they basically wiped their hands clean um, many, many, many years ago and said to the provinces, fine, it's all yours. Do what you want within your your the confines of your border. So conduct and manage means something different depending on where your feet are planted in the country. In Ontario, they created iGaming Ontario, which is there to sort of enforce the contract that operators sign, and it's basically where the money flows. So the money that the operators remit on a weekly basis um, and some of the other, you know, the, the audits that have to happen because operators have to, you know, follow the contract to a T and there has to be verifiable data that goes in that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. So the government has really been kind of hands off in that sense and that the operators don't deal with the government. They deal directly with the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario. Um, there's been controversy in the last little bit because of the advertising. So I don't know how much of that trickled across the border, but basically during the NHL playoffs last year, there was a great hue and cry that came out because of all of the sports betting advertising. Now, if you sit with a pen, a pencil on a Saturday night and you start counting, which Steve McAllister, who runs Gaming News Canada, has actually done. So not scientific, but definitely, you know, enough to, to basically point out 
that there aren't more sports betting ads being shown during an NHL broadcast than fast food ads or car ads or anything else. They're within the same number or even less than. But what is new to everyone is the fact that they're legally allowed to advertise now. So the advertising itself is new. And there's been some discussion, well, some, a lot of discussion about the appropriateness of young NHL stars like Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, Connor McDavid to appear in these ads and what kind of undue influence it may have on minors. So the AGCO, um, took wind of that, started a big consultation process on standards and there's guidance coming out. Um, but the long and short of it is come February, operators will not be able to use active or retired athletes in any advertising unless they're there to advance a responsible gambling message. And it's message. not just, it's not just, sorry for interrupting, but it's not just athletes. It's anyone designated as being potentially influential. So that's where the guidance has to come in because it also talks about influencers and right. celebrities and a whole bunch of other people, but we don't have any clear understanding of, you know, a celebrity to me who's 50 is not going to resonate to a 21 year old in the same way, but yet it still would be captured under that same celebrity definition. That's my so point. That's what, yeah. That's why I was saying the, the AGCO is aware that there's confusion out there. Um, and so they will be coming back. We got an update this week from Dr. Karen Schnarr, who's the CEO. They will be coming back with what they're calling guidance. So you pretty much know what an active athlete is. There's a lot of confusion over who a retired athlete is and even more confusion over how you define a celebrity or an influencer. So hopefully uh, sometime either later this month or early in the new year, we'll have some guardrails that operators can stay between but the long and the short of it is unless they're willing to put connor and austin and even wayne you know for anyone over the age of you know under the age of 30 who understands who wayne gretzky is um they'll have to start appearing only in rg capacities in those ads as of february sorry what's rg responsible gambling okay um to me it to me it's pretty obvious why they're using Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, and Wayne Gretzky. I think where it gets interesting is if you're in your car or you're listening to a streamcast, I'm inventing that term, by the way. It's not a podcast. It's Great. not a radio Trademark. show. Yeah. It's a streamcast. So you're listening to Overdrive or you're listening to the Nick Kiprio show or you're listening to one of those. Um Every single radio show that is streamed has a betting partner. And at some point during their segment, somebody is talking about the line of the night, whatever the games are, and they're promoting it. And then if you go on X, formerly Twitter, I hate that. I just picking it up today for some reason. Um, every former athlete who's now on Twitter as an insider, a talking head, uh, is somehow affiliated with a sports book with their picks. So they are being utilized because they are influencers, right? I mean, they wouldn't be pushing them if they didn't have X number of thousands of followers. Yep. Ergo, they're influencers. Yep. No, well, I, I completely agree with you. So 
that is in my mind the government overregulating and 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 whether it's a government body or an agency doing work on behalf of the government is semantics to me that just seems like a lot of this is the government yeah, trying to I, 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 if, if I had to guess because I was privy to the inner conversations that were happening with the regulator um we had a ton of negative media attention so we also have you know, mainstream media up here that loves to throw tons of slings and arrows at this industry, refuses to acknowledge or willfully ignores the fact that it's a regulated industry, that there are standards that the operators that have, have to follow. And not a single operator has ever been accused of deliberately skewing its advertising to minors, not a single one. So I would say if you talk to Paul Burns, who runs the Canadian Gaming Association, he would absolutely agree with you. It's an overreach. Um, but we've had, like I said, media who who exacerbates this problem. You probably heard that P.K. Subin's father launched a coalition and he was, you know, banging on all the doors of, you know, the CBC National News and, you know, anyone that would talk to him talking about how during the playoffs last year, he had to cover his grandchildren's eyes when the when the intermission commercials came on because there were all these sports betting ads and you know, to me, that's that's completely ridiculous and an overreach because I, I mean, you've got alcohol advertising on television, you've got all kinds of different kinds of advertising on television that could be highly suggestive to minors. Um, so I think if I had to guess the regulator in this case and the government also decided to adjust or tweak the standards because they are so sick and tired of dealing with those headlines. So just to remind you, you and I met on one of Steve's uh, LinkedIn, LinkedIn talks um, yeah. right around playoff time. Uh, he pulled me off the beach um, in the Bahamas, actually. Uh, as this regulation got announced, me being having the media interest, you being the gambling expert, my words, not yours. Um, I mean, it, it seems to me that I'm not so dissimilar for when marijuana licenses got handed out in Ontario, where everyone was opening pot shops, that there's been a lot of books for lack of a better word, opening up. Mm -hmm. And yet a lot of them have closed down. I know why that happened in the marijuana industry. Why Why does it seem like many have suffered the same fate in the sports betting world in Ontario? So it's, a, it's an interesting question given that we're almost at the second year anniversary. April 2025 will be the second year anniversary. And there have been a handful of operators who've left to date. Um, Unibet will be pulling out um, in March, um, and that will be one of the bigger names to come out. Um, but I suspect there'll be more to follow. Cannabis is a good example. Um, really, it should be a free market economy. Whoever wants to get a license, you know, open a cannabis store, you know, get a iGaming license in Ontario should be free to do so. And it's up to the market to decide whether or not they like that product and whether they're willing to support that business. Um, I mean, 47 operators is to me probably double what will ultimately be in Ontario. I think that number isn't necessarily sustainable. And it's not that it's not sustainable for the province. It's just the 
we call it the path to profitability, you know? So most operators coming in, unless you're massive like BetMGM or FanDuel or DraftKings, most other operators coming in, it takes a couple of years to start breaking even after all the investment you've made to get yourself up and running. Um, and if you've got, you know, maybe out of the 47 odd operators in Ontario right now, if you've got six of them that have most of the market share, then the other 40 odd of them are chasing what's left. And so I don't see how that Ontario is going to be a sustainable market for most of the smaller ones. It's competitive. It's expensive. There are a lot of fees attached with being in the market. Um, and it's just, you know, we're a unique, we're a unique little slice of, of North America up here. We're very similar to America. We watch the same sports on the same channels. We see a lot of the same commercials. We're influenced by the same issues and people and everything else. But yeah, we're a little bit different because we're Canadian. We're also slightly like the Europeans, but we're not European as well. So it's a very different customer base. It's a very different, you know, attitude towards everything. Like I said, it's it's a casino driven market up here. It's not a sports book driven market. That's very different than the U.S., um, but you know, it, it, it just means that some brands coming in here, unless they're able to really learn about the market, learn about the customer, about what the customer wants, you know, I have a feeling that if they're not prepared to make that investment, then we're going to see more of them pulling up, um, as we get into 2025. So when you say it's a casino driven market, you're saying that the customers prefer going to a physical casino to place bets. Is that what you're saying? No, their um, operators have launched in Ontario, both with a sports book. Um, their apps have sports book and they have online casino games. So, you know, fun fact, Canadians are the number one visitor to Vegas. So Canadians love going to Vegas. They love going and playing the slots and the table games. So you can find all of that online as well. So the vast majority of operators, when they came in, um, also launched iCasino. So you okay. can go on, you can play blackjack you can go live dealer and sit at a table and play roulette you know you can sit there and find the same slot games you're playing physically in a casino in vegas you can play online so that's where most of the revenue is coming in gotcha into and it's been that way since the market launch okay all right thank you for the clarifications i said not my thing that that's helpful to know listen i i don't gamble either i buy like a lottery ticket like once a year so it's you know, it's, it's ironic. This is the industry I work in, but yeah, I'm like you, I do not gamble, but I fully support, you know, more provinces is, states legalizing this activity. Is, uh, is ProLine still a thing? Yeah. Yeah. People still use ProLine. Like Ontario is the only province that has uh licensed and regulated and ProLine runs across the country. So it's available through the lottery corporations in other provinces, but yeah, ProLine is still there. And has it taken a hit or is it still as popular? Actually, interestingly enough, in Ontario, um, the opening of this market has actually benefited our lottery corporation, the OLG. Um, they're doing quite well. There will always be a segment of the population that will only want to play on the lottery corporation's website. Um, they'll, they'll view that as being more stable, secure, trusted, whatever. So there is a segment of the population for whom that is always going to be their choice, whereas you have lots of others who will only want to play with a you know, one of the other operators that have come into the market. So they've done very well with this. And it's, you know, the old saying, rising tide floats all boats. That's exactly what's happened with our lottery corporation. You know, in, in my opinion, what's saving professional sports is, I'm going to put in air quotes, gambling. And I'm putting in air quotes because I include with that 
fantasy sports and yeah. most people don't play it for free. There's some type of, could be five bucks, could be 25 bucks, but whatever. Um, kids today watch, you know, they don't watch entire games. They sit and they watch, you know, the red channel, whatever the hell it's called these days, because they want to know how their players are doing. They don't, you know, they don't root for teams. They root for players, just like that awesome Seinfeld episode, you know. Um, so the two things that are saving the NFL, in my mind, are gambling, both at the fantasy level and the stuff that we're talking about. And you're going to laugh when I say it, Taylor Swift. Um <laughs> Yeah, you, you laugh, but the numbers are real, right? Listen, I've 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 been reading about it. It's 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 really interesting. I, I couldn't name a single song of hers, uh, but you know, whatever helps helps, right? Well, you know better than I that how big a business the NFL is and how powerful they are. Uh, when they when they start moving things around and they start putting brands next to theirs, that's because it's powerful, and she trumps them. Um, and she's moving needles. And there's, for a reason, and there's a reason why brands want to be associated with the NFL. Yeah. So that's why. So they have sports has generated the audience they were losing through gambling. And, and again, I don't care whether you call it fantasy or gambling. It, to me, it's the same thing. And I don't have a negative implication to it at all. The only way I think they're going to get people to continue to come to games because the tickets are so expensive these days is if there's some way to integrate that into the into the live game. And they've got to find a way to, to make it easier to participate while you're there live. Have you heard of anything like that coming to fruition anytime soon? Um, so live in-game wagering exists today. Um, it's something that's not available everywhere. Um, but what you're describing is sort of the next evolution. And I think now that you've seen ESPN launch, um, you know, you've got the backing of Disney and not that Disney wants to be associated with gambling, but certainly, you know, I see a company like that probably wanting to be at the forefront of bringing that kind of experience back to the fans because, you know, every operator is out there trying to acquire customers um, and, if you basically got the same experience, you know, you're offering the same odds, you've got the same sort of experience on the app, you know, like we're kind of different, where they differentiate themselves are, are with their brands and what their brands stand with and resonate with. So, you know, the operators that can introduce new features into their app so that as fans are sitting there, like I know we talked about it um before the market opened here, like you can, you can imagine a day when you're sitting at, I was about to say Skydome, Rogers Center. I still call uh, it Skydome. It's fine. You've got, you've got your phone in your hand and you're sitting there following along, you know, the game's going on in front of you, but you're able to do these live wagers and you're able to participate. You know, that is kind of, that's the future of it. And I, I'll take it a step further. There's no question that the evolution of being a fan from a cable box to streaming is happening happening rapidly. And as Amazon and Apple get more and more involved, there's no question that that's where it's gonna come as well, yep. right? You, I, I don't know if you guys watch baseball games on Apple, but some people hate it. I actually kind of like it because they start showing the probability of things happening in an app bat. So, 
the chance of a walk, the chance of a strikeout. Well, there's no question that the next iteration of that is it's it's attached to your uh, iTunes account, your Apple account, and you can start betting. Is the next pitch going to be a strike? Is he going to hit a home run? You know, is it going to be a touchdown? You know, is is he going to hit the field goal? There's no question that a you'll be able to do it for money, and b someone else is going to say, can you you know, fanatics is going to do you're going to do it for points, and those points you can then turn into gear, right? So gambling doesn't have to gambling doesn't have to mean money, correct? Correct, correct. Um, It's funny. I was on a podcast for Captain Jack. It feels like a lifetime ago. Um, and one of his callers came on and he was lamenting that if you looked at the states, now the states, one big difference is a lot of them have just legalized or legislated sports betting. So they don't have the the casino side of it. But for the the states that they were, you know, looking at at that time, he was saying, you know, it's the same four or five operators in every state. It's the same offer. They all look the same, sound the same, feel the same. Like it's the mm-hmm. same. And so, you know, the hope too is, you know, as you look at more states and provinces going the way of legalization, you hope that they make the conditions attractive enough that different kinds of operators can come in and maybe offer a different experience for the customer. But also, you know, thinking about what you're describing, you can also see something maybe like five, 10 years from now where you basically got like three operators in all of North America controlling everything, you know, because they've just muscled out all the smaller operators. And, you know, some of them have much deeper pockets, you know, I kind of call them war chests and they're able to just outspend, outmaneuver, out, you know, like invest in R and D and trying to evolve their product. Um, Those are the ones that will ultimately win. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see who's still standing, you know, five or 10 years from now. What's happening in the States is actually pretty interesting, though, because so I'm here in Washington where it's not legal. It's, you know, it's only legal in certain places, Indian reservations, Indian casinos. So if you so my son goes to school in Colorado where it is legal, he's 21. He has the app. He comes home. He goes to a Seahawk game or he goes to a Kraken game or a Mariners game. And he wants to place a bet while he's there and he gets geo fenced out of his app. He can't place a bet. Pardon my French, but that's a shitty experience. Yes. Um, but that's because you're allowing state by state legislation and regulation. So there's, there's, I mean, Ontario has the same thing because we're the only province. So it's all geolocated up here. And if you're in Detroit or you're in Montreal or you're in, you know, across the Ottawa river in, in Hull, you are, blocked from being able to place that so it would be way better if we could have done a country by country and that way no matter where you are you can access but that is i mean yeah i don't i i will be dead before we see anything you know like that in canada and i'm pretty sure in the u.s too really you think you think you think federal legalization is that far away no, I, I was saying like, I think I don't, because the feds aren't involved in it. So you'd have to, and I'm speaking from a Canadian experience, you'd have to get all the provinces together to agree on this and they don't agree on much of anything. So I can't see them. We don't even have a unified stock exchange up here. So I can't see them agreeing to a single iGaming model for the entire country. But, but that's that, what would enable a Canadian to travel across the country and 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 do something like that. But if 
if it were legal in all provinces, would that not stop the geofencing? If it was legal in all provinces, quite possibly, but every province could also have a different tax rate and every province could have different rules. So theoretically, yes. That's a different, those are, those are different challenges that could be solved technologically. What you're, what's happening now is you're being blocked. Yeah, because it's not legal any other place than when you're standing in Ontario. Right. I mean, I'd like to think, I was, my next question was going to be, how long is it going to be that the problem I described that my son is having is going to stop? And your answer was not before you're dead and you're going to live a very long life. So. Yeah. Well, so for, for the U S it would have to be like, you know, it would have to be America wide, you know, and there are some States that are really refusing to even allow sports betting to creep into it. So the best case scenario is you can string together a bunch of States from, you know, where you're going to school to where you are at home, but you know, it's going to be on a state by state basis. And until you have enough of them coming together and you have the same operator and, you know, all those States that you want to place a bet in. So in your opinion, is is the reluctance to approve the same as what used to drive the Sunday blue laws? This is just gambling is bad. Is it, is it literally just that? You know, I can't speak to the U.S. I can only speak to Ontario, but I remember trying to put a tiny, tiny, tiny casino in downtown Toronto. And this was when Rob Ford was still mayor. And the amount of opposition, because Caesars came up and, you know, the Sands came up and Encore um, came up. So all the big strip operators were here and interested. And the designs were breathtaking and they were smart and well-considered. But because we were looking at putting a very tiny casino downtown, um, we had a massive opposition campaign from very like well-off, prominent Torontonians, you know, architects and people who'd been involved in, you know, designing and transforming the city, who basically said Sodom and Gomorrah would descend and would corrupt every child, you know, under the age of 18 for a hundred kilometer radius and turn them into degenerate gamblers. That's basically what they were, they were telling us. And the public opposition to it was so severe that that never happened. And if you look at the locations downtown today that, you know, the redevelopment would have affected, it is still desperately and sorely needed. And there's never been any interest since. So, Back to last April, NHL playoffs and Carl Subin doing the rounds of, you know, CBC and CTV and all the rest of them. It was very reminiscent of that because he was also some of the same names that I remember from the No Casino Toronto were appearing, you know, back last April. Why we still continue to clutch our pearls for this industry when cannabis was expanded nationally we can now go to our local grocery stores and, you know, we have aisles full of beer and wine. You can now buy there, but this is still a problem despite regulation and standards and all the rest of that. I cannot wrap my head around it. I absolutely cannot wrap my head around it. So I think, you know, for Canadians who are looking at this online thing, because we're gray. So I'm going back to where I started at the beginning of this conversation Every other province still has operators accessing the market and providing the activity. 
the only way to deal with it is to do what Ontario did. You, you know, the only way to kind of uproot these operators that have planted, you know, roots in the provinces is to tell them to come in and, you know, get a license and provide their services lawfully. But there's no new net expansion of gambling going on. That was one of the accusations when Ontario was going to open. It was like, look at all this gambling that's going to come into the province. It's here anyway. You're just, you know, we're just not collecting any revenue and we have no idea what they're, how they're offering it, but it's here anyway. So it's never going to be about an expansion of new gambling. It's really just about creating a level playing field, a fair playing field, making sure that, you know, operators are actually giving back something to the province, making sure players have access to help if they need it. But yeah, we are still super puritanical about this industry and, I don't know, like, wouldn't you rather have it out of the shadows with, you know, a spotlight being, you know, put on it so you make sure it's being done properly versus like, you know, dark back in the shadows where you have like no idea if you're gambling with some dodgy casino down in the Caribbean that's never going to give you your money back? Like, I don't know. So one of the most confusing or confounding exits to me has been Rogers because... You know, their entry into this was exciting. You know, they own the pipe. They own the NHL rights. They own the Blue Jays. And it seemed like they were figuratively and literally putting all their chips in the table into this industry. And then pretty quickly, they yanked out. I mean, they say they're not. But they were certainly, you know, you put on Hockey Night in Canada and after every intermission, there they were front and center with Rogers bets or whatever the hell, the Sports Nine, Sportsnet bets or whatever they were calling it. That was one hell of a retraction out of the market. Now they're still in there somehow and they're, they're running ads, but it's certainly not what they were. What do you think so, happened? So, so a few things. Because this industry launched right after COVID, it single-handedly saved the advertising industry was this sports betting coming in and all this advertising being bought. So Bell Rogers certainly profited from operators coming in. MLSE partnerships, you know, those were not cheap, but they were sold. Um, so money started coming in after, you know, two years of, of COVID. Um they Rogers specifically got a lot of criticism for the ham fisted way they offered it and they were you know a lot of people decided that this was great and they were jumping in with both feet i had taken time to learn about it learn about how to do it properly without pissing off your your audience um so they were just on the receiving end of a ton of criticism because they felt it was forced you know the host series and cubby and the rest you know it was it didn't come naturally um and it just felt like it was getting shoved down their throats so that got pulled back um who knows how it will be reintroduced in the future um but it was really just because it wasn't good and it was just really you know detracting from everything else that was going on so yeah that's 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 as much as i i as i know about it just from discussions that have happened around uh around the industry but yeah um part of the problem too with um our our advertisers and you know even cbc is in the up until last year up until very recently they were taking ads from dot net advertisers so dot net 
specifically Bodog being the bane of most operators existence because they've refused to come get a license. But yet, you know, Rogers and Bell and CBC were still running their ads. Um, so the operators were getting really irritated. Um, so my understanding is CBC has finally agreed not to air those ads anymore, but you still have, you know, that .NET advertising that was also, you know, I, I mean, I get it. You've had no advertising coming in and now it's like a bonanza. So you're going to grab everything you have, but the broadcasters have been an interesting new partner. And that's one of the things that on the Canadian gaming association side we talk about, which is like, it's not just the operators that are making the decisions and driving this industry forward. There's a whole bunch of new partners we now have specifically on the sports betting side. So it's, it's yeah, the operators, but you've got the leagues and you've got, if you're using a player as a spokesperson, you've got the player and their agent, you've got the broadcasters. So there's a lot of people now that have responsibility for how this industry moves forward in Ontario. Um, it's not just the operators alone driving it. And I think the leagues have had to be brought, not kicking and screaming, but they've certainly dragged their feet a little bit to come to the table. But because of, I go back to last April again, because of the amount of massive backlash over the sports betting advertising, um, and because they play a large role in determining which commercials make it to air, when they make it to air, how often they make it to air, um, they had to come to the table. So it's it's nice to see, you know, this time, you know, 18 months, looking at the two-year anniversary, we've got a lot more cooperation now with the leagues and the broadcasters because figuring out how to offer sports betting advertising in this province in a way that doesn't piss everyone off, um, it, it takes everyone coming to the table to find that solution, not just the operators. All right. So let me let me focus on two, two negatives because yeah. I think you know that I'm pretty positive on this whole thing. So the first side is, let's talk about social media and players, athletes. It, I think it's a bigger problem in college. And, and I don't think, maybe I'm ignorant, but I don't think it's as big a deal in Canada as it is in the U.S. But <clears throat> in the U.S., college athletics is massive. Yeah. Um, the, the athletes are, so, you know, again, there's lots of gambling on college athletics, fantasy sports, the access, you know, the, the players now are on social media and they are being hazed, harassed, threatened, what have you on social media when they're not performing and, and people are losing money on games. Kicker misses a field goal, um, a last minute play causes a team not to cover death threats are being in social media, you know, bit of an unfair question, but you know, is there a way for the industry to play a role in cleaning up what has become this ridiculous cesspool? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Cause I think Pascal Siakam had an experience with that. Um, or it was someone on the Raptors um, and Masai had to come on and address it in a news conference. So it, it, it does happen up here too. I mean, I don't know, we've kind of, you kind of mentioned that X now is, is <laughs> it's, it's always had some problems, but since it, it kind of tilted off of Twitter and it became what it is now, I think, you know, it's, it's become just a, a slightly ridiculous place right now. Cesspool. Let's go with cesspool. Fine. <laughs> Um, 
I think that that has never been acceptable behavior in social media now, especially because so many people can be anonymous on it, which is another problem has, you know, just let their inner freak fly pretty much. Um, the industry doesn't accept that the industry certainly con condones that. I, yeah, it's an interesting question on how the industry could help, you know, step up or support that. Um, you know, it, it, it's been part of the challenge we've had up here with, you know, if you look at Instagram, for instance, it's a meta channel. Um, there's been a lot of trolling that's happened on the social media accounts for operators up here um, because we have inducement restrictions that we're under. Um, it hasn't stopped people from coming in and posting comments. Um, and it's it's something that's been raised. Um, I know the AGCO was aware of some of the you know threats that were being made against athletes. Um, it's a matter, I guess, at that point in time, if they want to report it, it's really up to the police to investigate. But it's you know going back to there's a lot of stakeholders that need to come to the table to make this industry work, and certainly the parent companies of some of these social media channels, you know my personal opinion, they need to step up and play a role as well. Um, and, you know, until you can get, you know, we have, a, we have examples of, you know, land-based casinos in Ontario that have decided to get an iGaming license. And there are trolls who have taken the logo from that casino and they have created an Instagram account and they are trying to fraudulently, um, fraudulently hook customers in pretending they're that casino it still exists today. Meta is not responding to sort of, I don't know, lawyer's letters or any of the rest of it. But, you know, the fact that they are so slow to deal with this, I think it's going to be an ongoing problem for a while, Jonah. All right. Next question. Okay. Tim Donahue, the NBA referee who ended up in jail for gambling on games. Uh, there have been numerous NFL players suspended for stupidly participating in gambling. And I say stupidly. Up here in Ottawa, same thing. Right. Now, he didn't bet himself. We don't really know what happened there. We don't really know what happened. Yeah, exactly. But this seems like it's a ticking time bomb until somebody big does something. Inevitably, it's somebody who does something really stupid. Um, how do we, you know, to me, the science stealing scandal with the University of Michigan, when that hand, when that got handed down, the finding was that they were using things to affect the outcome of a game, which to me is about integrity. And the one thing all these games operate on is about the integrity. Why? So that people can bet on the game. <laughs> So people can bet on the games. I mean, that's what this is all about. It, it really is. So how big of a problem is this? And how do we protect against the integrity? Uh, both so that's, from that's, Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it was forefront with Ontario launching because any operator coming in offering sports betting had to sign with an integrity monitor. So there was a bunch of them that they could choose from. U.S. Integrity is a really well-known one south of the border, um, IBEA, Ecograth. So there were a bunch that they could use because operators are always monitoring play. Like I know my kindred 
um, when I was with Kindred, you could see on the sports betting side, you know, who was being classified as a wise guy and you could watch how they were betting and when they were betting. And, you know, there would be wise guy tags that would be assigned to them. Every operator does this. Um, so re operators rely on data and the integrity monitors are there because they're also watching and they rely on data coming in from operators and also from their own feeds because they can tell when suspicious betting activity is taking place. And then they can pass that information off to a league um, and then the league can go and do some investigation. And it has resulted in people being fined, people being stripped, uh, people being kicked off teams. So the integrity monitoring on the sports book side is really important. The other thing that has been happening more and more, and if you ever talk to the CFL up here, they're a big proponent of this, the Canadian Center for Ethics in Sport, um, it's athlete education. Um, the match manipulation or the match fixing has been a big problem at the junior level because they're not paid very much. So a lot of the um, a lot of the urgency for that, um, just speaking from my experience here in Canada, was going out and talking to the junior level athletes and making sure that they understood what match manipulation and match fixing was and what to do if someone ever approached them with that. Um, at the more professional level, I mean, it's kind of twofold. The leagues are now doing a lot more education with their athletes. Um, and that's something that has been kind of percolating more as we've seen more examples of athletes getting fined um, and banned from teams because of, of gambling. Um, but it's also um, from an athlete position when they open accounts with um, operators, there's a process, at least in Ontario, called KYC, Know Your Customer. And there's a whole bunch of uh, people who are on the banned list because through their role, their function, their job, they're not allowed to open accounts. So operators doing their due diligence should also be flagging these accounts as like, you know, no-goes and, you know, barring them from being able to open them. So it, it's, it's a combination of, you know, the operator doing their due diligence, the leagues doing their athlete education, and then the sports books using a lot of really smart data collection and monitoring the betting patterns. And in that ecosystem, if it's all working together, you know, match manipulation, match fixing should be something that isn't as prevalent anymore. That's the hope. So I don't ever do this, but given the topic and your expertise, I actually posted on Twitter that I was having a podcast with a gaming expert. Oh, okay. And invited some questions. I know we are close to the hour. Do you have time for a couple of questions? I do. Yeah. Okay. So here's the first one. I'm using BetMGM and DraftKings and want to know why I can't use the app when I'm in a state that has legalized gambling. It'll only work in Ontario yet. The site is available in multiple states, but we are blocked from using it when out of Ontario. Yes, 100%. That's, that, that's part one. His second question is even better. Why are the ads? Why are the ads so bad? I don't expect you to answer the second one. Yeah. So, yeah, crossing the border is always going to be difficult. So, if you've downloaded BetMGM, DraftKings, and the rest of them, all have Ontario-specific apps. So, if you've downloaded it from the App Store um, and you've registered in Ontario, it will only ever work in Ontario. You can go and get the next. You can go and get the app when you're south of the border. So it's. I know it's frustrating. I know it doesn't make sense, but it's just the way this industry works right now. It's a very specific app that will only work in Ontario. Um, as for why the ads are so... No, you don't have to answer that. 
I don't know. It's good that we got yeah. it a lot. I, I feel that way about most advertising, but you right. know, that's also just me. Um, <laughs> does your expert see a growth in the amount of regulated iGaming operators in 20 in Ontario in 24? I think you've already answered this, or will the market start to correct itself with sites merging or even folding, i.e. cool bet? Yeah, I yeah, I, I do believe that's the way it's going to go because you look at cannabis when it launched uh, throughout Canada, lots of stores and then fewer stores. So the, the market will determine, um, you know, what it can handle. Um, but as I said earlier, that path to profitability is going to be really difficult for some well-known brands. Um, so I can't see it being a super fun experience for the smaller ones. So I, I do feel like some market correction will be coming very soon in the next year. Any idea if when DFS, which is daily fantasy, will again be legal in Ontario? For reference, it used to be before 2022 and now isn't. Yeah. So when Ontario launched, at that point in time, it had to launch. Um, so there was some you know, speed to getting everything up and going. So the one thing that got left behind is what we would call international liquidity. So just like the province of Ontario is ring fenced for your gambling, um, so is the liquidity. So this unfortunately affected uh, both DFS and poker. So one of the outstanding hangover issues from launch is petitioning. It's more specifically the attorney general's office in Ontario to get them to say, let Ontario sign memorandums of uh, understanding with any other state country that has legalization. So that way you can increase the access to the players playing. And that's what daily fantasy sports and poker, poker both need to be super successful. So it's not so much that it's illegal. It's just with the very low number of players, the very little bit of liquidity. Um, available right now, it's just not worth it for those bigger like FanDuel and DraftKings to to stay in the market. So, um, yeah, it's certainly something that needs to get addressed as we get into next year. So, I think I understand. I think I understand what this question is asking. Are there firewalls or regulations in place that prevent U.S. promoted boosts and promotions from being offered in Canada? People like Bill Simmons, Rachel Nichols, etc. So, I imagine what they're asking is. There's a there's a book in the U.S. that also operates in Ontario. They're they're sending some type of promo, but it's not working in Canada. That just seems like yeah. it's a sh shitty user experience to me. Is that what we're talking about? So there's yeah there's different there's different rules for what you can offer. Like state by state will be different. So it's different in Ontario too. So um, the same operator who's got you know a book in Ontario and a book in let's say New Jersey or New York or Indiana. Um, it, it's all going to be different offers. Um, so what you see in one state won't necessarily apply. We do get a lot of bleed over. Like if you're sitting there listening to Sirius, like my husband does, um, you'll still get U.S. ads coming in. You'll still see U.S. commercials with U.S. offers. But if you look at the fine print, especially on the TV, they'll tell you what states that they're valid in um, and they will not ever work in Ontario. It's, it's all based on the state that you're or the province you're sitting in. Well, this has been uh, fascinating. Um, <laughs> so I, I will tell you, you are the expert. You know a hell of a lot more than I do. I happen to believe that um, we've dipped our little toe into the water and fire and brimstone has not followed. And 
I, I assume that what you're going to tell me is that the revenue has been significant. I don't know if it's hit the 5 billion mark, but I bet it's significant. And as a result, I think that um, it's going to happen a lot sooner than your death. In your lifetime, you will see this everywhere. Why? Because it's just accepted. And I think that if I asked you five, 10 years ago, if we'd ever see legalization of marijuana in either country, you would have laughed me off the podcast as well. And I just think we're getting more and more tolerant of things that we never used to. And uh, the fact that you can do it as painfully as you can now is a good sign. I, I just think things are evolving. And I have a lot more faith in the younger generation enforcing change than I do in, in us. Um, that That's yeah. my belief. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole reason esports exists because there's a whole younger demographic for whom even DFS isn't that interesting. So I agree. They will be the ones who will be dictating where these this industry goes for sure. So it's Shohei Atani Day. Let's see if he makes a decision. I really genuinely appreciate you taking the time. I've learned a ton. Uh, I'm hoping that you know, as as things shift and change, uh, we can have you back. It's, this is a fascinating uh, time. Uh, tons of things going on, legislation changing. I'm I'm really curious to see the effect of whatever decisions get made. There's a ton of radio hosts, influencers who are posting on TikTok podcasts and have you, who are making a good amount of money right now by being, you know, by promoting their picks. Uh, that would all go away as I read the legislation right now. So it's, it's interesting to see what happens in the next couple of weeks. Well, you've got my number. Happy to come back. Awesome. Thanks for doing this. Have a great weekend. And we will see you next time. In Thank the you so row. much, Jenna. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of In the Press Row. Thank you to Amanda for enlightening and educating us on what's going on in the wide world of sports gambling. If you would like to appear on a further episode of In the Press Row, please shoot me a note either on any of your social media channels, Jonah at YYZ Sports Media or YYZ Sports Media by email Jonah at YYZ Sports Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening and we will see you next time in the press row. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.